Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett. Brett. Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory. Brett Gilliland. The Circuit of Success Podcast. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Kyle McDowell with me. Kyle, what's up, buddy? Hey, Brett. I'm well. It's great to be with you today. I appreciate you uh, you having me. Uh, it's great to be with you as well, man. I'm excited. I, I, you know, based on what I've seen about you and your energy, we're going to have an awesome conversation today, man. So I'm fired up. Likewise, I hope so. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. I, anytime I get a chance to kind of spread the message and evangelize the work that I'm doing, especially on a podcast that's been around as long as yours, uh, I jump at it. So again, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you are a former Fortune 10 executive that turned to a Wall Street and USA Today bestselling author and speaker. You're traveling the world, man, on all sorts of stages. But before we dive in, man, you are today, man. There's a backstory in there and something that makes Kyle tick. And I'd love to see if we can pull some of that out. Yeah, you, th- thank you for that. I'd be remiss because I, I, if I didn't just start early on, um, I, I, I was very fortunate to have um, um, uh, a mother who had an incredible work ethic. Uh, I, she was a single parent mom for uh, the first several years of of my life until she met a wonderful man who became my stepdad. And, you know, they always instilled a sense of work ethic in me that I just don't think you can replicate. I don't, I think it's hard to, to teach it if it doesn't start at an early age. Um, so I just learned the value of a dollar and the value of, or the connection rather between hard work and outcomes. If you want something, you got to go work for it. I'll never forget, man, growing up, Every time a new pair of Air Jordans would hit the would hit the stores, <laughs> and I wanted those things every single year, the new the new shoe would come out. I knew what I had to do. I had to put in weeks of yard work. It was always the recipe. So um, I entered corporate America at seventeen. Uh, ironically, or of, of uh, believe it or not, I um, I interviewed for a job at a local bank when I was seventeen years old. Uh, I rolled the dice that if I were to get an offer, that offer would come sometime after my 18th birthday because they wouldn't have hired me if they had known I was a minor. <laughs> right. And it worked. So I interviewed in June of 1993, got the offer in July, started in August. And uh, I've been a kind of a student of, of leadership um, in, in the dynamics that come with working inside of corporate America uh, for the last nearly 30 years. So that's, I think that's, that's what brings us here today. But I, I have to share also, man, I, um, throughout that 30 year journey, and I'm sure you and, and certainly many of your listeners might be able to relate. Um, I found myself becoming more and more apathetic towards the whole thing, towards the whole gig, man. And when I say gig, I mean, everything that comes with working inside the corporate world, um, uh, the bureaucracy, the, the dysfunction, the toxicity, all of the things. And I'm the first to admit, by the way, man, I, I perpetuated a lot of that. When you're leading big organizations, you're put in a position where lather, rinse, repeat, what's always worked will continue to work. So you just kind of perpetuate that same toxicity and dysfunction. And I just, I hit a boiling point late in my career, probably around year 23, where I I just said, there has to be a better way. Um, and, And that's when I came up with the concept that ultimately resulted in the book that you mentioned at the top. And um, it's changed my life actually. The, the, the realization I came to about, you know, leading with a we mindset and getting to know your people and investing your time and energy into them just certainly it changed my professional life. And that is, I'm so happy to say it's transcended into my personal life as well and my relationships. 
Well, I think we, you and I have a lot in common. I mean, it, it's um, a career decision that we made. I made mine at 12 and a half years in my professional career. Wow. You made yours, it sounds like, at, at, at 22 years. But I was the same yeah. way, man. And I, and I say this is that as my success, you know, quote unquote success was going like that, uh, my job satisfaction, my career satisfaction was going the other direction. And, you know, I, I had a, a nice firm and, and a nice office and, and things like that, but it, it just didn't feel right. You know, and so now, same to you, like my, you know, our firm now, our, our mission, uh, I mean, everything is around that future greater than your past. And it's, it has been life changing. So I agree with you, but talk to the listener right now that's 22 years in a career or 12 and a half years into a career. And they're scared as hell, man, to go make that jump, bet on themselves, walk away from, you know, the 401k plan, the health insurance, the nice check yeah. they're getting, all the stuff you and I had, right? Talk to our listeners about that step. Well, first, I'm, and I'm glad you went here because it, it's always a fear of mine that when I talk about my transition from, from the corporate world into starting my own deal and, and hitting the road to evangelize these principles, that um, I don't want it to be lost or that I that leap is scary as all get out. It is. It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. Um, especially if you've spent as you, you know, a dozen plus years in my case, more, more than 20 years, um, we get programmed. We are, we are absolutely programmed to get up a certain time, go through the same, just, you know, clock in, clock out and look for the next paycheck, look for the next promotion, kind of keep your head down. Um, but there's this expression that hit me, um, um, right around the time I realized I had to make a change and it was, they pay you to forget your dreams. Oh. And, and there's no, there's no nefarious scheme behind the scenes that, 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 this, that this happens to us. But, and I can tell by your, your, the way you frame the question that you, you, you kind of relate, right? You, you start making that paycheck. There's some security that comes in. I had a fair amount of money in the bank where I felt comfortable. Um, and it just became, it, it became my identity. My, my corporate life became my, my identity so much so that when I wrote the book, I had friends saying, I had no idea that you were this passionate about these things. Because I didn't, you know, Kyle at work was different than Kyle at home, which is not good. I mean, that's, right. that's a, a lack of authenticity, which is something I didn't realize at the time. Um, so for your listeners, to me, it, it's um, never forget that everything we do every single day is the result of a choice. And you can choose to continue down the same path, uh, get the two, 3% raise every year, you know, maybe you get a promotion every few years, whatever your, your path, wherever your path takes you. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong. Um, um, but the choice to do something different, maybe a little, uh, unconventional is something that I decide that we have because they do pay to forget your dreams. And, and so the sooner you realize there's a choice to be made and that, that there are opportunities that are, virtually unlimited out there today. The number of things you can do today is just is exponentially higher than it ever was before. Yeah, um, it is. But that all starts with a choice, right? You, you made the choice. I made the choice. Um, and I don't want anybody out there to hear this and think that, you know, well, he's ascended to a certain level. No, it's, it's, it is terrifying at any level when you make a decision. I'm calling this chapter two of my career because the first chapter I closed the book on about five years ago. It is, it is scary, but I am absolutely convinced my level of impact is directly correlated to the level of effort and the amount of time I grind at this thing I'm doing today. And that is no different than anybody else out there. 
Yeah. Well, don't you think too, you're working in your brilliant in, you know, line with your values and your mission and, and all those things, right. Is you're, you're not going to ever get the impact that you make now because you're choosing the path that you're going down. And I think there's so much power in the word choice. I love that you're saying that, but don't you believe that? Yeah. Brett, I do believe it. And I think it's even worse than the way you describe it because not only are you not your best self when you're doing something that you are, you know, you don't love or you're not passionate about, um, most companies either directly or not, they filter you to the point where you can't even be curious. You can't even, you know, there's this concept of being an entrepreneur inside of the corporate world, which I think is a beautiful concept because you don't accept the status quo. You're always looking to innovate. You're looking to do things differently. You want to have a great experience for your employees and your team uh, and your customers, by the way. Um, but a lot of organizations, they, they filter us and kind of dilute our impact to the point where we, we there's no way to, to find that passion. Because think of where I talk about this a lot, man. When we enter the workforce, think back for, for your journey and, and, and those that are listening to us or watching us now. We all enter the workforce with a tremendous amount of optimism, uh, excitement. We want to have an impact. We want to do big things. Um, but most organizations don't necessarily value that, or at least not to the point where it challenges the status quo. It's kind of like get in line, keep your head down and, and move on. So if you're, if we're, you know, for all of us, if we're able to marry something that we're passionate about with a way to make a living and support our family, you know, take a trip every now and then, uh, that's, that is that's happiness to me. And that is, that's something we should all aspire to. But again, over time, you know, bills, things mount up and we, and we just don't, we lose sight of that opportunity, lose sight of the choice. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I think too, it, it made me think about even your health, you know, for me, I, I can't speak for oh. you, but for me, man, it was, I was going down a path where I've always been an anxious person. I, I was a nervous child, you know, I was you know, before games or before any big event, man, I was nervous. I was always nervous. And, and that just kept going. And then as my career, you know, I, I would kind of battle through those things, but then I hit a point to where, you know, and I was having like a panic attack and, you know, I did all this. I went to Mayo yeah. clinic and did an executive physical and spent all this money and, you know, Hey dude, you're fine. I did that. And then I had a, a guy that I would consider a friend and, and hopefully he hears this and maybe I'll have to send it to him and tell him, but he, he gave me some words that a doctor I don't think normally uses and I won't share the words exactly, but what he told me, what I needed to do. And, uh, and I needed to hear it, man. And I was, I was just having panic attacks. And then when, as I learned about panic and anxiety and stress, uh, I learned that I wasn't living up to my potential and I wasn't following the dreams and the passions that I had. So it was manifesting in other ways. And man, Absolutely. isn't it amazing now, almost 10 years later, how different I feel. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible to me. Yeah. That's beautiful. So it's, that. it's, um, it, it is incredible, but, um, yeah, sorry, man. We're just having some we're stepping on each other. Um, there's a bit of a delay again. I know we can, hopefully we can edit that out, but, yep. um, I, I think it's, it's no, no question about it. When I made the decision to step away and really invest in myself, both from an energy and time perspective, but also a, a dollars and cents perspective. Cause as you know, starting a business isn't, isn't cheap, certainly not free. Um, I was probably at my most unhealthy, uh, physically, psychologically. I had just been just kind of worn down over the years, but it's worse than that. I, I I'm not embarrassed to say, uh, and I've learned from this, uh, my career cost me a marriage. Um, mm -hmm. I was working so, so much traveling 
every single week for years on end that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it became my identity. And so much so that that identity was not the husband I wanted to be. It wasn't the friend I wanted to be. Um, so that was also a, a hell of a wake up call for me, um, which look, man, I'm not proud of that, but it's, it also is an experience that has taught me and I'm a better person for it. Like everything else, I think in life, any challenge on the other side of that is hopefully a better, uh, a better, better outcome. So what, what right now, when you look at your career and the things and the people you're helping, um, what's your biggest challenge or, or I even, I've been calling it lately the head scratcher. Like what's the head scratcher for you that it's like, God, you just wish you could reach across the table and let somebody understand that. What is it for you? It's without question. It is getting people to understand and believe that when you make a choice to lead differently, maybe be the leader you never had when you invest time and energy in others more so than yourself and you care less about your own personal quote success, however you define that, and you invest that energy into others' growth, development, success, their achievements, you, two things happen, well, a number of things, but two things primarily kind of uh, resonate with me. One is the results on the macro level, they come. So that switch, you, 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 you are overtly making a switch that you're no longer focused on your own goal, your own goals, your own growth, your own success. Um, you don't lose sight of those things, but you focus that on those that you're responsible to lead. The two things are they perform better. Your your team perform the overall macro results that you deliver are better without question. Yep. But the bigger component is the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes is profoundly exponentially greater than keeping the focus on yourself. I could not agree. And when I say this, it's, it, um, there's a lot of skepticism in the room. And I have to admit, um, if someone were to have approached me and said the same thing, like focus less on you and more on everyone around you, you'll benefit in ways that you could never have uh, predicted. I would have said it's bullshit. Um, Mm, so that, that's it. That's the head scratcher for me, Brett. I just, if people were to understand and realize the value that comes with deprioritizing your own quote unquote success for others. Um, I think not only would the corporate world be in a much better place, I think the world would be a better place. Um, So so that's the head scratch. I love the way you frame it. That's the head scratcher for me. One of the things I look at when I'm talking to other leaders or I hear somebody in the room talking, if I'm listening at a conference or whatever, when I hear the word I, right? One of my biggest pet peeves is when they say I, I did this and I did that. Like, Like none of my success is because of I only right? It's because of we and the people I've got around me. Like I couldn't do what I do without amazing people. So it's just a pet peeve of mine. And I'm sure that's a big pet peeve of yours as well. One of the biggest. Um, And what a shame too, because there is so much spotlight to be had in life in general, certainly in the corporate world. Uh, And the good, by the way, the goodwill that we gain by sharing in that spotlight, you know, even when I'm accepting something you know, personal type, uh, accolade or award. It's like w- when you throw a, we out there and it couldn't have done it without the team, the goodwill we create is, uh, it's priceless. Yep. Um, and it's true, man, nothing, very little is done from an I or me perspective, uh, which, which is where I stumbled onto uh, we, uh, back in, I guess it was around 2016. And that was the, the pivotal or sentinel moment 
in my leadership journey that's forever changed me as a leader, certainly, but as a person as well. It's, it's changed my life. Yeah. So talk about the 10 we's. This is from your book. Again, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling book, uh, Begin With We, The 10 Principles for Building and Sustaining a Culture of Excellence. Who doesn't want that? Um, and so let's talk about those, though. You talk about it, the framework, the 10 we's required for building and sustaining a culture of excellence. Yeah, so I'll take you back to Lawrence, Kansas, of all places. Um, I love Lawrence, but it was it served as a really pivotal moment for me. I was um, in my hotel room. Uh, I just accepted the role of leading about fifteen thousand really dedicated men and women um, that 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 staff probably the world's largest health insurance enrollment and customer service operation. Um, the company, I was, I was not naive. It was shared very early on that there was, um, an opportunity to, to kind of reinvigorate, um, some energy, uh, maybe do some work on the company culture. And, um, but I knew also having spent the previous 20 years in, massive organizations, as you mentioned, Fortune 10 firms, that if I were to show up um, with this group uh, and, and kind of talked about I and the success I had had, because I'd always, uh, throughout my career, there's a flavor of transformation. Uh, I'd come in, fix something, fix a big, big team, fix a big org, you know, turn things around, um, which has always been a passion of mine. But I knew with this group, had I entered with more of the I and me and kind of, you know, here's what I'm here to do for you, uh, it would not have worked because they'd heard it all before. I was not naive. The fellow who had the role before me was dismissed. And I believe the one before him was also. Um, and if you take into consideration the team, my direct reports, um, they had an average tenure of north of 10 years. So here's this new guy coming into the fold. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to, to approach it as if I was the savior would just not have resonated. So the night before I was to meet with the top 40 or 50 leaders of this organization in my hotel room in Lawrence, Kansas, I still had that day's suit on and my laptop in my lap. And I thought, okay, this is, this is what you wanted. You wanted an opportunity to lead an organization and be the leader you never had. This is why you made this change. What are you going to do? So with no pre-planning or, or motives or agenda in mind, I just started typing into this blank PowerPoint presentation. And a couple hours later, I, all I had was 10 sentences. Uh, and each of them started with the word we. And um, I'm not super creative, so I had the 10 we's. But the point uh, of, of where the magic, I think, started. So the next morning, I, I stepped out, spoke to the 40 or 50 folks, and half were really excited and on board. A quarter were kind of skeptical, and the last quarter was just like this guy's full Who's of this. They just want to hear it so much. So, by the way, I should add, Brett, that uh, what, yeah, what one of the fellows was bold enough to share that evening that um, he googled the 10 weeks because he thought I'd plagiarize them, and then he went another step further and asked for my presentation because he wanted to check the properties within PowerPoint to see if I was the creator of that deck or if I had wow. stolen it from somewhere else. <laughs> uh, we're still buddies, but yeah. the 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 I think the the highlight or the bumper sticker of this part of the story is this. In my career, I noticed, and it all came together that night in Lawrence, that companies were, were really excited about flaunting their mission statement. They were really excited about externally positioning their company externally in a way that is uh, you know, flattering or favorable or endears them to their clients. But what is, what is missing? 
difference is setting that same standard inside the organization. So for me to document these 10 principles and be very adamant and direct that these are our rules of the road, of the road, non-negotiable. I did the whole presentation in black and white and still nearly every time it's in black and white with some red sprinkled in because it can't be negotiable. But these principles align us around a common cause and, and, and they're all we oriented, but what they do is they create kind of a force fields too dramatic, but I'll go with it. That insulates us from uh, external headwinds. It, it sets the table for who we are, how we operate, and it removes any ambiguity around the way that we treat each other first and then how we treat those that we serve externally. Um, and they're they're very purposeful in the order in which they are um, uh, written. But at the end of the day, this entire monologue that I'm sharing with you was my way to um, tell them, first, these are the principles that hold me accountable. I led with that uh, because I'd seen the leadership, what I call the leadership gap too many times where the boss has a certain standard of behavior and the team has another one. And I think right out of the gate, you're destined for failure if there's a double standard in how we treat each other, uh, the things I'm allowed to do versus the things you're allowed to do. So A, you must hold me accountable to these because B, I will certainly hold you accountable to them. And if you can't subscribe mm -hmm. to these principles, respect, you're not gonna be a great fit for this team. Um, so that, that, was the, that was kind of the, the sentinel moment that I shared the principles. I, 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 I was not forceful in implementing them. I wanted the team to take to them gradually. And I'm so thrilled to share five, six years later, the, uh, the 10 we's are still the, the cultural manifest this giant organization many years ago. Um, they have the 10 we awards where they share, uh, and celebrate those that are quote unquote caught living any one of the we's. Um, and I've been able to evangelize these principles more broadly now and companies, uh, that I'm working with have embraced it. People have embraced it because it sets the standard for who we are, how we operate, uh, aside from some lofty mission statement that no one can really relate to on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. Yeah. I love that, man. So let's start with number one. What's number one? Well, so I must give a disclaimer as we walk through these, um, I'm, I'm certain, uh, members of your audience are going to say, well, no shit. Of course, of course we're going to do these things, <laughs> but I, right. I'm not naive to that, but I will, I will add to that, um, this point, uh, when used collectively and evangelized and and conspicuously communicated over and over and over every single day for example i wear a i wear a wee bracelet everywhere i go this is we challenge it's got to it's got to be memorable noticeable and it's got to be something we can lean against not just words on a wall number one yep. is we do the right thing always and and you'll you'll you know again listeners might say uh well no shit the, the the beauty behind this one is once you evangelize it and we talk about it over and over again, when facing a tough decision, the team knows where we're going. They are quick to even answer the question before you ask it because, and, and by the way, they'll premise their response with, I know Kyle, we do the right thing, right? So we it, it removes any opportunity for us to do something that might be a little less than quote unquote right. So we do the right thing is, is number one. Everything so else I is think house of cards without it. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that is, um, you know, the Ritz-Carlton way, right, is uh, I think I heard one time that each each member that's working that day has like a 200 or $400 budget or something like that, that they can fix yeah. something, right, without having to get approval. And I remember being there, one of my kids, I think it's my oldest, who's 18 now, was young, 
and we're there and we get an ice cream cone and we're not six steps away from this place where we got the ice cream in there and it spills, of course, and goes all over the floor. And man, those people were like around that thing so quick, got it cleaned up. Boom. Here's a new ice cream. Cone. Team. Right. I mean, like it was amazing. And Beautiful. so I think that's what I think of when I hear that we do the right thing always. Right. We do the right thing always. That's that's number one. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the foundation. It's the foundation. But if you want to do the right thing and you want your team to do the right thing, for me, that takes us right to number two, and that is we lead by example. Uh, we're already setting an example. The question, to, the question is not should we lead by example. The question is am I leading by an example I'd be proud for others to see. If it were blast all over the intranet, the company intranet or the newsletter or even worse, externally, is my behavior something that I'm proud of? Is it, am I leading yeah. in a way that others want to follow? And again, you know, I, I would imagine some listeners are saying, well, of course you want to lead by example, but it's not the big things that I'm talking about. When I walk through the hallway, you know, when I'm on site or at a location, is my head down in my phone or am, is my head up saying, hey, Brett, good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, you know, that's, that's an example that must be set, right? I'll tell you a quick story and I'll, and then we can move on. But um, I, I used to visit one of the locations, uh, back in the, the teens when, um, I had 11 locations at the time when these principles were rolled out. One of the locations invariably, every time I would go the men's restroom, the counter where you wash your hands had standing water every single time I went there. It was drive you crazy. And I just, you know, I'd like every other fella in there, wash my hands, throw my paper towel away and walk out. But it occurred to me. I am sending the message anytime I'm in there washing my hands next to somebody else. It finally occurred to me that I am sending the message that it's okay. We are accepting this puddled water. And, I, and, and the leader doesn't care about our work environment. That's the message I'm mm -hmm. sending if I don't. So now when the realization hit me, I'm, I was in my hands dry off. I would take extra napkins and wipe down that basin every single time. And wouldn't you know it, after a number of visits there, the water was gone. Not because of me, people were coming behind me doing the same thing. Yep. So it's not just, you know, the shiniest shoes. I got the most expansive vocabulary. I'm not leading by example in those ways. I'm leading by example by being relatable to those I work with, setting an example that they want to follow and, and, and showing the importance of our interactions, not just you are here to, to produce a widget for me. Um, yep. So that's the kind of example I want to be known for. Yeah. Amen to that, man. I think Mother Teresa said it, and I'll joke, my buddy Tom Myatt at a soccer game recently said it too. Sweep your own front porch, right? So right. any of my buddies that were on this trip will know, and it was a, it was a great time. But, uh, you know, sweep your own front porch, man, and that's that's what you're doing Perfect. right there. So that's awesome. Uh, what's right number on. three? So we go. So if we want to do the right thing, uh, and and if we agree that leading by example is the way to do that, or any team, we've got to make good on our commitments. So we number three is we say what we're going to do, then we do it. So anytime you're in a team environment, there are others that are counting on you to deliver something, especially in corporate America. Uh, and what I have found, a lot of breakdown and disappointment that our customers experience oftentimes are the result of a breakdown or a lack of communication or delivery behind the curtain here, in the, here on, the, on the team. So we, we've just got to be known, you know, every high functioning team needs to be known for, and it's usually associated with, do, you know, making good on our commitments. When yeah. I tell you I'm going to deliver something to you as a member of my team, it's coming. When you tell me that you're going to deliver something to me as a member of my team, it must come. Uh, and, and that was, you know, the scenario there to drive me crazy. 
uh, you know, Brett, you and I had a conversation. I agreed to deliver something to you by Thursday at noon. Um, Thursday at noon rolls around. You call me. You're like, Kyle, what's up? Where's that report? And my response to you is, well, I reached out to Jane in accounting. I just haven't heard back from her. That's not good enough. So I committed something to you, brother. I got to get that to you. And I will go to the end of the earth to get that for you. Or I will give you a heads up before Thursday at noon that this is not happening. We're a bit delayed. But I have found, especially in bigger organizations, there's this, you know, let's point back and forth because I, you know, I, I did my part. I made the request. No, 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 no. Your part was hitting your commitment. So leading by example, I think the best way to do that is by setting a target, going after that target, making good on our commitments, uh, because we're only as good as the commitments we keep. I, that's that's truly how I believe that. Um, that's why number three is is where it's ranked so high, because if we can't deliver on on the commitments that we make, especially as the leader to our team, there's no trust, um, and without trust, we are no all. Love it. So far, I'm in line. I'm three for three, brother. What do we got? Number four. I love that. All right, I'll keep rolling. So if we're gonna do the right thing, we're gonna lead by example. And we're going to make good on our commitments. That means the very next step is we got to take action. So when we see an opportunity to be better, when we see maybe a broken process or, you know, we have a disgruntled customer because of a process that we we, we just know is is too too taxing or whatever the scenario is, we got to take action. Um, especially in bigger organizations, and it's true of all organizations of all size, but especially bigger ones, there is safety in silence. And what that means is we often we often see opportunities for improvement, but we don't take action on them, usually for one of two reasons. If I raise my hand and say, hey, boss, we got an opportunity to refine this process, usually I'm going to be greeted with more work. Uh, so where's the incentive to do that? And then the second component of, of why this is so hard for so many to grasp is not only am I going to be asked to do the work, but if I stumble or my existing workload is compromised, I'm gonna get beaten over the head with this thing that I surfaced, which was really an attempt to make us better. So there's no incentive in most organizations to raise my hand and say, that doesn't make sense. Why are we doing that? I need to take a look at that and let me address that for us. Uh, there's no incentive. So stay in your lane is kind of the thought that comes to mind. But in a culture of excellence, uh, when we really wanna be excellent and be a high functioning, high performing team, we can't, we cannot walk by opportunities for improvement. You know, the old TSA adage comes to mind. If you see something, say something. Well, in this world, it's when you, if you see something, do something. Um, because it, it, in today's ultra competitive environment in almost every industry, if we allow those mediocre uh, um, things uh, or the status quo sandwiches, as I call it, if we allow those, we will get lapped by our and we will not be here. So it's important to recognize where there's something to do. We got to do it. Um, but when, 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 if you want your team to take action and you want people to recognize that there's a way to be better and we have a chance to be better, the only way to get them to do that is to create an environment where they're comfortable making mistakes. And that takes us to, to we number five, we own our mistakes. So if I'm in an environment where a team says, or the team is well aware, they are tasked, empowered, and obligated to identify ways for us to be better. We got to allow them the safety to make a mistake trying to make it better. Because mm. uh, again, where's the incentive if we're just going to beat them over the head? So, so the culture of excellence says for us to be great, we're going to make mistakes. Everyone knows that. We're going to own those mistakes because I think we talked about it at the top of the call. 
those challenges and those mistakes result in growth. And we want to be better. We got to try. Fail. That's life. But we got to try to get better. So we're going to own our mistakes. And, and the sooner the team is aware that you as the leader will be there with your hand outstretched to help them get up and move on to the next to the next thing, the more likely they are to take action and own the mistake that comes with that action being taken. I'm a note-taking machine, brother. You can Still probably see me. that. <laughs> hey, I'm just taking I notes. It. I love it. This is great. This is I great. We do the right thing. Well, we lead by examples. We say what we're going to do, and we do it. We take, uh, we take action. We own our mistakes. Leads us to number six. Yeah, and they, there's the continuum here. So when, when the team feels comfortable to raise their hand and say, I made a mistake, they're only going to do that when they know they're in an environment where we six exist, and that is we pick each other up. We pick each other up. Look, we're all coming to the workplace, whether it be virtual or, or in person, with baggage. You know, we've all got things going on outside of work. We've got things going on inside of work. It's not often we bring our very best self to our job. It's not. We'd like to think it is, and a lot of environments will demand that and not be understanding that sometimes life gets in the way. So we pick each other up as critical because if we're going to own our mistakes from action being taken, we, we have to know that others have our back, especially the leader. Um, but there's two components here. I want to, I want to kind of bifurcate between the two. Um, owning the mistake is critical for picking each other up. So we don't, we can't help someone if we don't know that they're struggling, right? The results may show it, but not everybody sees those results. So all members of the team don't see all members of the team's mission. And that is propel members on your team and those around you to new heights. I don't believe it's just enough for the boss or the leader in this case to get members of their team to be high performing at what they do now. I think a great leader helps them develop to take on their next role. Even if, by the way, even if that role is outside of my team, outside of the organization even. Mm -hmm. Because if, I, if, if the team members, if, if members of the team know that me as their leader I'm really invested in their journey. I'm really invested in their growth. I want them to be their best, not just so I can deliver great results for my team. I want them to be their best because I want to be a good human and I want to be surrounded by people that are their best. And I take this so seriously that I've had members of my teams throughout the years come to me and say they've had opportunity, they've got opportunities to join other companies. They've got uh, they're eyeing an opening somewhere else. I help them get that next job. I help them. We'll do mock interviews. I'll work with you on your whatever the Ever you need because an off-chain role, the connection and goodwill that we've now established, because I've proven to you, I really care more about you than your results is profound. And that's happened to me a number of times, helping someone leave the company. They've either gotten the role or they haven't. But when they, when they, when they return back to, 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 to this team, uh, the commitment they have until the next opportunity comes around, I'm not naive is, is stronger. Um, I think it's true. We all want to be appreciated for what we do uh, and the, the value that we bring, but not in a moment in time. The value that we bring is exponential over time. We need to, we need to encourage people to be there, whether that's with us or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's we pick each other up. It's abundance mentality so, versus scarcity. Amen. Right. And, and you know, there's this thing inside of the corporate world where for someone to win, someone else must lose. And I just think that's garbage. So the more we can pick each other up, come along on their journey, not only 
do we help someone else, but it just feels good. It just feels good to help someone else along there, right? Um, so I admit the first six of the we's are, um, are more foundational in nature and, and they kind of set the table for who we are. But as we move uh, seven through 10, you'll notice that the we's become a, a little more um, difficult for some to grasp, uh, maybe a little more controversial. Um, you know, that's a relative term. But also, I believe this is where we 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 pivot to steal from Collins, uh, from good to great. Yep. And and we number seven is we measure ourselves by outcomes, period, not activity. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it in your business and throughout your career. Um, and it's gotten worse, I think, over time. Where we, 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 in the corporate world, we we give out what amounts to participation uh, ribbons, um, and, and that to me is is it dilutes the impact of delivering great results. Um, we wear the number of meetings we every day as a badge of honor. If I'm double booked, triple booked, like that's that's supposed to impress people. Right. Um, but that's not what the client or our customers, that's not why they pay us. They pay us for the outcome. So what I've noticed throughout my, what I noticed throughout my career was a lot of people run around very busy, engaged in a lot of activities, but they're busy for busy's sake, you know, the sake of busyness. What I like to challenge people to do is identify a handful of things for which you're being judged or you're held accountable, right? That are on your performance appraisal. List of tasks that you're obligated to deliver on whatever the time frequency is, weekly, monthly, whatever. And, and then evaluate all of your activities, every meeting you're participating in. And if those meetings and those activities don't directly connect to those outcomes that you've been assigned or that the outcomes that you're you know, tasked to deliver, Scrutinize them. Why am I doing this? Why am I in this meeting? Why am I asked to do this if it doesn't lead to that? There's a caveat. I'm not naive. Compliance. We have legal things. There are got things that we have to do that you may not be able to draw a straight, a straight line to that outcome. But that's the exception. I think the rule should be if I'm engaged in something, it should deliver or, 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 or help me deliver my outcome. And, and the cliche that I use over and over again is, Brett, I am so happy when my Uber driver picks me up with a tank full of gas or enough mm. gas to get me from A to B. But I didn't pay him or her to stop at the gas station before they picked me up. I paid for the outcome of getting me from A to B. So the more we focus on the outcomes, I think the more earnest we can be in our efforts. And uh, I think outcomes, um, uh, th th they come in a way that is uh, more superior than than just focused on the busyness. I, I think that is a that's a curse inside of an organization trying to stay busy. <clears throat> Let's keep them rocking the last three. Here we go. My favorite of all too. Number eight is <laughs> we challenge each other. Um, most organizations challenges come from here for those listening at home. That is the boss to the team. Occasionally we, we encourage challenges, uh, within the team, you know, peer to peer occasionally, but rarely is a challenge. Are we adamant about the challenge? Challenges must also come from the team to the leader. In other words, the challenges must come from every direction because the result of progress, everything or anything worth having in this life is almost always the result of overcoming one or more challenges. You want to lose weight, got to burn calories. You got to change your diet, you got to work out, whatever. You want to learn how to play the guitar, get lessons, get on YouTube, whatever the scenario is for you, you must challenge yourself to deliver that if I have a solution or a position on a topic, I want every good idea on the table. I want a meritocracy of sorts where people can talk through and feel com 
feel obligated almost to challenge one another. And when you in- introduce this into your, to your, to your world, um, a lot of things happen, but the, the beauty of what I've seen firsthand is, um, I'll go back to, uh, staff meetings. Um, I, I, you may relate to this where a staff meeting in most environments is the boss is at the end of the table, the team around the table, and they each go through their updates and everyone on the team is just kind of heads down in their phone or on their laptop while each other is going through their updates. The only person theoretically paying attention is the boss and it's one-to-one, which is a waste of everyone's time, by the way. But when we have an environment that is rich in challenge and they're, you're not just allowed to, you're empowered and obligated to issue challenges, you have team members start to question updates in a healthy and productive way. And the result of that interaction becomes a knowledge share that enables other members on, of the team to, allow, to, to insert their own opinions or experience on the topic at hand. Now, there is one very clear line and rule for we number eight, and that is all challenges, first, they must be done diplomatically, but they must be grounded in either data and or experience. So in other words, I can't come to the staff meeting, Brett, you, you start opining on something and I don't like it just simply because it's my opinion. Uh, I, I, that's not a challenge. That's a complaint. But if I say, hey, 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 Brett, you're walking us down a path somewhere that I've actually I've been here before in my last role. We, you know, we had a product launch similar to this and we stumbled because of X, Y and Z. You know, as a leader, you want to hear that. You want yep. to you want that information. You want that challenge. You want to be smarter for that interaction. So challenges have to come via data and or experience. Um, but we number eight uh, without we number and we number nine is we embrace challenge. So in our organization, when we establish the environment that is rich in challenge, it must be rich in embracing those challenges, whether it be from a peer, whether it be from the leader, whether it be an external force, whatever the scenario is, we've got to embrace those challenges because if we deny them, we're going to get lapped uh, because the challenges just go away if you look the other way. Um, and we've got to create this, this, this kind of ethos where, yep, I'm aware that sucks. Let's move on. We got to embrace the challenge and keep trucking. Um, because what happens when we embrace those challenges, now we are focused on something other than ourselves. We're focusing on the outcomes. We're focusing on us being better and not denying the challenge. Um, so, so embracing it at we number nine is incredibly important. Um, which takes us to the last we you've held on through all 10. Uh, and I think the 10 is the icing on the cake that is one because if we lead with 10, uh, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And that is we obsess over details. It's the icing on the cake, the, the bow on the present, whatever cliche you want to use. Um, because I happen to believe in every team environment, the level of obsession over the details is, is akin or synonymous to our obsession for satisfying our clients, those that we serve. Um, you know, things like. Uh, consistent use of fonts and, and spelling and presentations like the, you know, here's an example I love actually. When's the last time you opened a product from Apple, right? It's just a sec, the, the tape yeah. with the arrow on it telling, right? They put engineers in rooms for months on end every time there's yeah. a new product launch because they want that experience for the customer, the consumer to be yep. wow, right? So obsessing over those details sends the message to our clients we care about you. We care about yeah. your experience. We care about your impression of our product. Um, but again, all of these principles start from behind the curtains. If we're detail-oriented and 
focused on the details behind the curtain, we're just much better positioned to have that same paradigm externally. Um, so we've got to obsess over details. I developed a reputation and even a nickname of the shredder, uh, when I was still in corporate. Uh, and that would, that was because my team would, you know, give a PowerPoint or they'd presentation, uh, whatever the marketing, whatever it was. And, um, I was just the shredder. I would notice font size 14 on page three, but 16 on four, <laughs> you know, the indentation on page seven was different than on, than on two. And yeah. I just think that sends a message to the consumer that we just threw this shit together. Right. We didn't take a lot of care <clears throat> in putting this together. So, so that's the 10 we's and, and, and it just occurred to me, um, I left out a very important intro to this. For, for everyone listening, a principle by definition, this isn't my term, by definition, a principle is a fundamental truth. It is mm -hmm. our system of beliefs. So when a team or group of people are aligned a system of beliefs, we're all on the same page and how how we view things, our fundamental truths, we are just much better and uh, positioned and the likelihood of success and excellence is dramatically increased because why? We have the same fundamental beliefs on who we are, how we behave and what we do. Strong message, my man, very strong message. So let's last couple questions here. What, what are some habits if I follow you around Every day, what are the things I'm going to see the no miss items that Kyle McDowell are doing day in and day out? Love that question. Um, um, you know, I, I would say regardless of with whom I'm interacting, uh, the most junior newest person to the C-level uh, executive in the office, my level of authenticity and my commitment never wavers. Now, the way I interact with those different audiences, uh, it could be different. And you would yeah. you would see that because I believe relatability is a key component. I, I, I always say relatability um, plus authenticity equals trust. Yeah. So if I'm relatable to those with whom I interact um, and they see that I'm really being true to who I am, every interaction, regardless of the topic, trust is gained. At least it's yeah. easier to gain. So you'll see a guy that is um, really focused on improving the employee experience, focused on improving the work life um, for, for as many people who will hear me out, um, because you probably know this, man. We spend 90,000 hours on average in a lifetime working. Yeah. The only thing we do more is sleep. That's it. So if we're going to spend so much time, you know, essentially the, the number one thing of our waking hours doing this thing called work Shouldn't it be rewarding? Yeah. Shouldn't it be the best experience that can be the most impactful, the most fulfilling? Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not naive. There's a difference between a job and a career. We've all had jobs that enabled us to launch our career. They were a stepping stone to something bigger. But I think even, you know, with all respect to, to anyone flipping a burger, but even someone that flips a burger and slides it across the counter to somebody, they deserve fulfillment. They deserve to see the smile on the face of the person on the other end of that transaction. And the, I think the, the best way to secure that type of fulfillment is to go at it as a team, not just me collecting my paycheck. And I think as we, as we matriculate through our careers and that, that, that journey, whether I'm a leader of 15,000 people or not a leader of anybody at all, I'm just leading myself, uh, the value that comes with this paradigm is, is profound. It's awesome. Man, I love your passion, Kyle. I love it, brother. Where can our listeners Thanks. find more of you? 
So I'm on uh, essentially every pl uh, social platform of the same handle of at Kyle McDowell Inc. Uh, my website is kylemcdowellinc.com. And I think you mentioned it at the top, but uh, shameless plug. The book is Begin With We, and it's available worldwide, bookstores everywhere. Uh, I'm actually kind of partial to the audio version. Um, I think it's got a little more energy than just the the page turning, but that's that's sure. that's that's me. And man, I say this on every podcast, uh, every regardless of the of the venue or format, I would love to hear from your listeners, and I mean that whether it be a problem they're facing inside the workplace, or they're trying to level up their leadership, or they just want to have more impact and find greater fulfillment in anything that they do, hit me. I'm here. I I, I respond to nearly every single uh, inquiry that I get because it just matters to me that much. And again. I'd be a hypocrite, something less than authentic if I didn't do that. I love it, man. Well, thanks so much, Kyle, for your time. It's been awesome having you. The 10 we's are, I mean, if people don't take notes on that stuff and then implement it, you know, I got a buddy that listens as a high school basketball coach, crushing it there. I mean, why, why would we not have our 10 we's, right? Whether your culture's in a locker room or your boardroom or the, the athletic field or at home, man, we got to have our 10 we's. Bingo, bingo, Brett. And that's been the unintended byproduct that I'm really proud of is how the 10 We's have manifested and kind of transitioned beyond just the corporate world and business. Um, I'm, I'm working with two different school districts right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the team thing, chess team, bowling team, work, it doesn't matter. A team is a team. And if we subscribe to a series of beliefs, we are just, we, there's not a lot we can't do together. Yeah. So I, I love the connection you just made uh, in the sports world. I love it. Well, hey, I may, uh, I may holler at you, man, have you come uh, virtually speak to our soccer team. We got one more big game on Friday, and then we're going to you know keep this train Let's going go. and trying to get to state again. So we'll holler at you. Let's go. I'm All right, in. Kyle, it's yes, been sir. awesome having you, man. And uh, thanks so much for being on the Circuit of Success.